You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. Friends, it's great to see you here this afternoon. My name's Eric Bonkowski. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And uh, before I get started, I want to mention or draw your attention to one other announcement that's in the worship guide, and that's about our uh, City Church Basics sessions. We do this uh, two or three times a year, and it's an opportunity to learn more about the church, who we are, what we believe, why we do the things that we do. And we're going to offer that uh, next Sunday evening right after the service from 5.30 to 8 and then the following Wednesday as well. And it's a, a class that is required for those who might be interested in becoming members of the church, although it's not required that you become a member after you go through the class. So if you've been here for uh, a month or a year or a few years and you want to learn more about City Church, please uh, register for that so we can be prepared with food. Again, my name's Eric Bonkowski, and I wanted to start off by sharing with all of you one of those moments in life that's just filled with anxiety and dread, right? It's when you get to the wedding reception, and you're going to that big sign that tells you where you're going to sit, right? All the tables are listed out, and you're scanning down that list, and you're going, am I going to be at a cool table tonight or not? How's, how's the rest of this night going to turn out? Where am I going to end up? And, um, you know, if, if you're the pastor, there, there are really two options for you. I've learned this from experience. Um, one, you're going to be seated at a table with a bunch of former members of your church. And uh, they're going to say, hey, we really loved your church, but we decided to go somewhere else. Or, or you're going to get the treatment of the table where you're going to be at the religious table. Like all the other pastors, every pastor at the wedding is going to be at the same table. Because um, who doesn't love being at a table full of pastors? Uh, I, I, I say this somewhat sheepishly because I know that some of you are, are planning or beginning to think about your own wedding and wedding reception, and you already have enough anxiety and stress on your mind. I don't want to add to that. Uh, I just bring it up because it is this moment when we're all very hyper aware of kind of the social dynamics and who's been invited to this party and who we will sit with. Today we're going to talk a little bit about um, parties and gatherings. And, you know, the reality is that life, for all of us, is headed towards a party. And yet the party that Jesus has planned for his people, for those who believe in him, looks very different than the way that the world throws a party. And, and so I want you to think about that a little bit with me this afternoon. We're going to talk today about how to go to a party and how to throw a party. And in order to do that, we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus is invited to a gathering. And he begins teaching us about what these gatherings should look like. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 14. Or if you want, you can follow along in the worship guide. The, the words that I'm going to read are printed there as well. I'm going to read 
Luke 14, verses 1 through 14. Let's give it our attention because this is God's word for us, his people. It says this, One Sabbath, when he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we acknowledge today that your word has life and so we come to it and we ask that your spirit would apply it to our lives we confess that the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of the lord endures forever may that enduring word come with power and peace for us this afternoon we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so parties, how to go to parties and how to throw parties is what I'm going to talk about today. And I want to start with a quote from uh, a book that I read about a year and a half ago, and it, it, it keeps rattling around in my mind. It, it, it was a really impactful book for me. It was called The Art of Gathering by a woman named Priya Parker. She says this towards the start of the book, very simply, she says, the way that we gather matters. And I think she's right, not because she came up with it, but because Jesus says the same thing. The way that we gather matters. And that's true in a whole host of situations. It's true with our parties, but it's also true with family meals. It's also true with uh, our small groups. It's true with our worship service. The way that we gather matters. It says something about us, and it says something about what we believe about God. And what we see in this passage in Luke 14 is that Jesus very much understands this truth. The way that we gather matters. And we see this in two ways from Jesus. We see it in what he does and what he teaches. We see it in what he proclaims and what he embodies 
with the people. And this is often how Jesus works. It's the things he says and the things that he does. They mutually reinforce one another. There are two parts in this passage that I read. The first part, Jesus heals a man. He's invited to this dinner on a Sabbath, and he heals a man. It's a man who has dropsy, which I didn't really know what that is, but it's like a swelling of the tissues. And it's very similar to something that Jesus has done in the prior chapter, in chapter 13, where he heals a woman in that case on the Sabbath. Of course, everyone is up in arms. But what Jesus is doing is he is saying our gatherings are meant to be about healing, about restoring life, of making people whole again. You see, Jesus is upending all of the conventions of the day because in the ancient Near East, much like today, there are all sorts of rules, often unspoken, about how a gathering should happen. And what's most offensive about Jesus here is that he's upsetting all of those things. He's turning them on a head. You see, the people that are gathered around, it's, it's less that Jesus has committed some sort of crime against the law of Moses. He is committing a crime against the conventions of gathering. It was scandalous. It was unexpected. It was surprising that he would heal this man and as the guest in someone else's house, this man afflicted with a disease that he's brought back to life. You see, what Jesus does, how he embodies the gospel and the gathering matters here. But then the second thing that he does in the second part of this passage is he begins to tell stories. Stories that are teaching about the way that we gather matters. And in doing these two things together, right, embodying and proclaiming he is showing us what the kingdom of God is like and how different the kingdom of God is from the kingdom of this world. What Jesus is doing is he is saying, hey, my kingdom, in my kingdom, the least expected are healed and become honored guests. And in my kingdom, people who live according to my kingdom live that way. They're willing to turn convention on its head. And their gatherings begin to look different. That's kind of the framework. That's what Jesus is doing. He's predicting what it is that he will do through his life, death, and resurrection. And he is saying to his people, you ought to live in this way. So with that as an introduction, how do we go to a party? Well, Jesus teaches us a little bit about that. I just want to say two things, and this is really from that first section, starting in verse 7, verse 7 through 11. Two things about how we go to a party. The first is this, that we should go humbly. Look again at verse 10. When you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. When you go to a party, don't go to the center of the room. Don't go to the place of honor. Go to the lowest place. Literally, the Greek word is go to the last place. Go to the last place when you're invited. Why? Well, because the gospel of Jesus Christ again and again reminds us that the last shall be first. The least shall be greatest in the kingdom of God. You've all been there, right? You've been to a party, you've been to an event, you've been to a wedding, and there's that person who walks in and the center of gravity changes, right? I call this life of the party guy. Big personality. Person who walks into the room and says, now the party starts because I'm here. 
They walk in with their head held high, swollen with pride, and they go to the center of the room. They find the most powerful person in the room, and they go and talk to them. And if you're not that person, how does it make you feel? Like all the energy is being sucked away, as though you don't matter anymore, right? Jesus is saying, don't go to the party like that. But when you go to a party, go to the last place. Go to the least place. Go to the lowest place. Go humbly. How do you go to a party? Do you go humbly? And notice the other thing that happens when we go to a party humbly. It has this effect that it makes space for other people. Life of the party guy goes to the party only thinking about space for himself. But when we go humbly, when we take the lowest place, suddenly we're opening up this gathering so that others can come in and be honored guests and welcomed and cared for and loved. Our assurance of pardon today, Mark 10, 45. It's a simple verse. It's one of the first verses I ever memorized. If you haven't memorized Mark 10, 45, memorize it tonight. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's what Jesus did. If, if there was anyone who could have walked into a room, who could have walked into a party and demanded all the attention be on him, but not the Son of God, not the Son of Man. He chose the lower place for us to show us the way that we ought to go to a party. So when you go to a party, how to go to a party, first humbly, the second is this, unashamedly. Unashamedly. And this is tied to the first, I think. It's linked with going humbly because when we go to a party humbly, we will not be ashamed. Why do I bring this up? Well, it's in the text, that's one thing, but I also bring it up because I think this is like pressing on, on, on the, the softest, rawest point for all of us. Because it's our greatest fear in social gatherings. It's around shame. And it's why so many of us live with this nagging social anxiety. Whether it's school or church or a wedding reception or a party that you're invited to. We are crippled by this fear, this sense that we are going to feel shame. Well, Jesus is showing us, if you go humbly, it's an antidote to that feeling of shame. Think about all the ways that we try to cover over our shame and hide it between our dress and our behavior and our conversation when we go to these parties. Well, there's a way that we can go and we can gather unashamedly. Look at verse 9 again. Verse 9 says this. He who invited you, that's the host, will come and say, give your place to this person and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. You see, if you walk into the gathering and you take the place of honor at first, it's setting yourself up for this walk of shame. Picking up your stuff, your water glass, your napkin, you're like, oh, that was the wrong spot for me. And then everyone sees you walk to the lower place. But if you start humbly, if you, heart, if you start not expecting anything, then the guest will say, or the host will say, no, come. I've got another seat for you. It's an antidote to our shame. You see, the way 
that we uh, can go to a party unashamedly is to go with Jesus Christ. To go in faith of of Jesus Christ. That he is the host, that he has invited us, that he wants us there. It's like walking into a party and immediately the host puts his arm around you and says, hey, this one's with me. Let me take you to where the good food is, to where the good wine is. That's what Jesus is saying. When we go humbly, we go unashamedly. Friends, this is how we can go to the party if we know the gospel. What Jesus is teaching in this parable is nothing short of of the very gospel message of what he does. He takes all of us who are ashamed of our sin, who uh, feel like the least in the lowest, the forgotten at the party, and he says, no, you're with me, and your identity now is secure. And all the shame that you have, place it on me, and I will give you my standing as a son, as a child of the king, and let's walk through that door. Come boldly to the throne of grace. You see, Jesus is teaching about how to go to a party, but he's also teaching us about the gospel of what he's done for us. There's this great, great little phrase in verse 10, right? So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. That's the gospel. Jehovah is the sinner's friend. Come with your shame. I will take it, and I have a special seat for you in my Father's house. That's how we go to parties, humbly and unashamedly. Well, how do we throw parties? Well, let me quote again from Priya Parker. She says this, Don't be a chill host. Now, what does she mean by that? Well, she thinks that there's this disease that is affecting us in the 21st century, and that's everyone wants to be chill as a host. She's a big fan of being a good host, a strong host, a generous host. And this goes for a party, it goes for a small group, it goes for a meal. Don't be a chill host. How do you throw a party? Well, Number one, as a surprising host. That's where it starts. Be a host and be a surprising host. What do I mean by that? Well, be a a, a surprising host starting with the guest list. This is what Jesus is after in verse 12. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or rich neighbors. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Don't invite those who will repay you. Invite those who never in a million years could repay you. That's who you invite. Again, this is the heart, this is the throbbing heartbeat of the gospel. Because the gospel is all about non-reciprocity. We are given something that we never could pay back. And yet so much of our gathering, so much of our parties is all, uh, all about reciprocity. Oh, I'll invite him and then he'll invite me. Friends, you're not good at throwing parties. You don't have the gift of hospitality if you like to have your friends over. And that goes for your city groups too. 
the heart of the gospel, the heart of gathering, the heart of hospitality is inviting those who could never pay you back. And quite frankly, it's inviting those who you're not sure you want to have them into your house. But aren't you glad that God invites you into his house? I think that we all need to take stock here because we are enslaved to this form of reciprocal, reciprocal hospitality. We go to parties with the same people and do the same things, all slightly trying to outdo each other just a little bit. And we're missing Jesus' teaching. What if we invited those who can't and won't ever repay the least and the last and the lost and the little. I think we're closer to the heartbeat of God when we're doing that. So how to throw a party well as a surprising host and then secondly with eyes to see. This passage is all about the eyes. Did you notice that? Look at verse 1. On the Sabbath he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees and they were watching him carefully. Verse 7, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. And verse 1 there, it says when they were watching him carefully, it, it literally means they were watching him, uh, uh, they, they were watchfully lurking. You ever been to a party like that? It's no fun. You're afraid to do the wrong thing because you know you're being watched. Am I going to talk to the wrong person? Am I going to eat my food the wrong way? Am I going to say the wrong thing? And then verse 10, which I already read, the host sees the guests in the lower place, right? It starts with the eyes and he says, friend, move up a little bit higher. Hosting and throwing a good party starts with your eyes. How do you throw a good party? Well, it's saying again and again, I see you. I see you. I see you. Because every one of us wants to be seen. We want to be noticed. We want to be enough when we're seen. And that's what a good host does. You see what needs to be done in order to honor others. And that may mean emptying the trash at a church dinner. Or it may mean walking into a room and seeing who's standing in the corner and saying, I'm going to go talk to that person because they need someone to talk to. What Priya Parker says is that a gathering of generous authority is a gathering run selflessly for the sake of others. Do you have eyes to see others at a party? Or are you so inwardly focused, so worried about how you appear, what you look like, that you can't see another person? But what, I'm, what I've said so far is simply that Jesus in this passage is showing us, number one, what his kingdom is like. The eschatological, the last day reversal, that the last shall be first. And he is outlining the trajectory of the ethics for those who would live in his kingdom. How we ought to live with one another. I read one commentator this week. It's a commentator that I, I generally like a fair amount. But he got to this part and he said... 
you should, Jesus isn't really saying this for you to apply it in your life. He says this, he says, it's bad advice for your social life to follow this. Because guests who can't repay you aren't very much fun at parties. And I read, I read that and I said, he is completely wrong. He's completely right on one sense. The people that you invite may not be much fun at the party, but it's absolutely the calling of those who have been saved by Jesus to invite those people, to see those people, to love those people. And your night might not be as much fun. The other thing I want to say about this is that this isn't a gimmick. This isn't like a strategy, a bait and switch. This is a virtue that becomes a way of life in people who have been invited by Jesus Christ. It's not something you turn on or off and like, oh, I need to throw a good party. It's at the core of who you are. Because the Spirit of God is applying this gospel truth in you. All right, that's how to go to a party and how to throw a party. I want to make a specific application here at the end. You know, if you've been around City Church for a little while, you know that we have kind of this mantra that we want to be a church that throws good parties. That's why this passage is near and dear to my heart. And hopefully for some of you, you've been able to come to some of those good parties that we've thrown. And kind of the, the, the crowning jewel for us since 2009 is we do an annual harvest party in October, a Saturday in October. The last couple have been out at Park and Meadow Farm in Goochland County. It's this grand party that we have. Well, you know what? We're not going to do a harvest party this year. We're going to do multiple harvest parties this year. What's better than a city church harvest party? City church harvest parties. Let me explain, and, and here's why we're doing this, because we've noticed over the years, the last 12 years, that there's been a little bit of a mission drift when it comes to the harvest party. And it started very much aligned with Luke 14, that this is a party that we want to invite people in our city, in our neighborhoods, at our schools, at our workplaces to come to. But it's as we have grown, as the church has grown, it's become more and more a party that the staff and the leadership throw just for us. That's not the kind of party that we want to throw. We want to throw a party that's not for us. We want to invite you to help host harvest parties for your friends, for the least, the last, the lost, the little that you know. Why? Because we think in doing this, we will be living the trajectory of the kingdom of God. The goal with these multiple harvest parties, we want to have at least three of these in different neighborhoods throughout the city. Different places that are, and the parties will look different. They'll be contextualized to your street, to your neighbors. The goal would be for about a third of the people there to be from city church and two-thirds to not be from here. And the main goal is that you would be a host, that you would exercise these muscles, that you could practice how to go to a party, and more importantly, how to throw a party. And in the process, you would also get to understand something that Jesus knew very much about being a host, 
about every gathering, that there's a cost. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes coordination. But it's a cost that you're willing to pay because in the same way that you have been seen by Jesus, you get to see others. You get to look at them and say, friend, come to this honored place. I think there's, a, there's a, one other benefit to doing these multiple harvest parties. And this, I'm, I'm speaking especially for those of you who are younger here. I think there's a great opportunity for you to be discipled into what it means to throw good parties. You know, maybe like me, you didn't grow up in a family that threw a lot of parties or hosted a lot of social events. So you didn't learn from your parents or your family of origin what it looks like. You can learn that here. In the same way here at City Church, we believe that you can learn what it looks like to care for a a man who's lost his wife or for a, a young mother who's lost a child. You can learn what it looks like to throw a good party so that others would know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been helped so much in my life through ministry of young life and learning what it means to host a party for others. I've been helped so much by watching my friend John Mark lead the ministry of focus. He has the gift of hospitality, and every time I talk to him, it it just oozes out of him, and I've learned what it means to host by watching him. You can do the same thing. Gather with others in your neighborhood, in your uh, city groups, and host a harvest party. The specifics of this, if you're interested, come and talk to me or let another member of the staff know. Like I said, we want at least three and hopefully more of these parties to happen this October. And we're going to designate a captain for each uh, party site to uh, coordinate the effort. We're going to make it as easy on you as possible by um, sort of providing a harvest party in a box, right? We'll smoke the meat for you. We'll make the Brunswick stew. We'll help you line up music. We'll help you plan merriment for all the children. But you are hosting. Why? Because it connects us with the gospel. It aligns us with the kingdom ethic. It helps us push back against the kingdom of the world that's all about reciprocity, all about uh, the honor. But instead, we'll begin to unwrap that, we'll begin to unwind that by looking at Jesus, the Son of Man, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have seen us and that the work of Jesus for us was the work of taking us from a shameful place and ushering us into honor. We thank you for what he did on the cross by going to the place of disgrace crucified outside of the city so that we could spend forever in the very presence of God at the throne of grace. We pray this fall for City Church that you would help us to live into this desire to be a church that throws good parties. Not parties for us, but parties for others. That they would taste and see for an evening or for a moment the glory of heaven. 
the joy of being loved and cared for and seen. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.